Hey, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Woodstock City Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to download the Woodstock City Church app where you can access all of our recent message content as well as find out about what's going on around Woodstock City Church. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Hey, have you ever, this is a weird question in church, have you ever boxed before? Anybody ever boxed before? Not a lot of us have done that, right? Like you have? Some of the ladies, more of the ladies have boxed. I wasn't expecting that. That's amazing. Um, I've only boxed one time. I was with my friend named Jay Potts. We were probably 10 years old. From what I remember, I destroyed him. Um, That's at least the memory I have. I do remember this. We boxed for about 60 seconds and I have never breathed so hard in my life. It was so tiring. Now, boxing wasn't really my specialty, but wrestling, that was my specialty. Now, I don't mean like with the singlet and the little ear things. You guys are the real wrestlers, not that kind of wrestling. I mean like WWF wrestling. That was my jam. From about fourth grade through middle school, I could not get enough of the WWF. I loved every bit of it. I mean, it's like soap opera for men. It's just so much fun. My favorite, I mean, this is a give me. My favorite was Hulk Hogan. You guys remember Hulk Hogan? What are you gonna do when the Hulk gets a hold of you? Remember that guy? I loved Hulk Hogan. One of our staff members told me this morning he had the Hulk Hogan tank top. And I was like, I didn't love him that much, but I loved Hulk Hogan. But there were so many like great personalities that were a part of this wrestling dynamic. Rowdy Roddy Piper, uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. They had these great names, right? The ultimate warrior, Andre the Giant. Remember Andre the Giant? He's like seven foot six, and one time Hulk Hogan picked him up and body slammed him. That was like the moment in wrestling. It was amazing. Um, This was before cancel culture, so we had people like the Iron Sheik. You couldn't have that guy anymore. I mean, it's a pretty fun thing. And my favorite part about wrestling wasn't just watching it. My favorite part was actually participating in it. My friends and I would try to perform the moves that we would see in the ring. And now I know some people will tell you that wrestling is real and they're right. And I'll tell you how I know, because I would put my friends in the figure four leg lock and they would all beg for mercy every time. In fact, can I have a volunteer? No, I'm just kidding, we're not gonna do that. Um, I mean, the, the figure four leg lock is a real submission hold. That junk hurts. And the goal of wrestling is to submit somebody to your will to make them give up, to make them quit. That's the whole point of wrestling, to pin them to the ground. And the figure four leg lock, it was the best way to make that happen, at least with my 13-year-old friends it was. And and not to like make wrestling a a metaphor for life or anything, but it kind of is in a way. Because you know what we wanna do with life? We wanna wrestle life to the ground. What we try to do in our life is make everything and everyone around us submit to our will. We wanna pin the world around us. It's like what we try to do is put life in our own figure four leg lock. That's what we want to do. We want everybody, our spouse, our relationships, our boss, I mean, our neighborhood association, hello, figure four leg lock, that thing, you know. We, We want everybody around us to do what we want. We want everybody to submit to us. We want to pin everybody so that they will do what we want them to do. Ultimately, we want to control everything around us. That's just a part of how we live our life. It's like it's a giant wrestling match, but we wanna be the winner. 
There's a guy in the Bible, you may have heard of him, his name is Jacob. Jacob is a pretty famous guy, and his entire life is basically a WWF wrestling match. That's kind of how he lived his life. He tried as best he could to manipulate and control and pin and submit everyone and everything to his will for his purposes. Now, this guy Jacob is pretty famous. I don't know if you grew up in church, but even if you didn't, you've heard of some of the people associated with Jacob. His grandfather, one of the most famous people of all faith, his name is Abraham. You've probably heard of Abraham. That's his granddad. Abraham's his granddad. His dad is named Isaac. He's a pretty big deal too. And then Jacob. Now Jacob has a brother. And there's some interesting things that happen with Jacob in his life. So here's what I want us to do for the next couple of weeks. I want us to look at the life of Jacob. And I want us to figure out what we can learn about life. And more importantly, what we can learn about God and about faith in light of the story of Jacob. Sound good? Now, Jacob's story starts like most of your stories started. His mom was pregnant. Now, I'm not gonna read you a bunch from this, but in Genesis chapter 25, we read a little bit about the beginning of his life and the way his life begins is critical to understanding how things begin to play out for Jacob. So here's how the story of Jacob begins. Isaac, that's his dad, Isaac prayed to God the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. Rebecca is barren, she's not able to have any children, which is a real problem because God has promised Isaac's dad, Abraham, that he would be a great nation, that his offspring would turn into an incredible nation. Now, he struggled, Abraham struggled with this too, and his wife, Sarah. And now his son, Isaac, and his wife, Rebecca, are struggling as well. So Isaac goes to God, hey, you've made this promise, but my wife, we're struggling to have this promise come true. The Lord answered his prayer, though, and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. The babies, too, jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? I've never been pregnant, but I think that's what all of you have said. Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. So she can't have children. Now there's a lot going on in there, and she's excited, but she's a little anxious, and she's nervous, and she goes to God, and she says, what's happening inside of me? God answers her prayer. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. This is really critical. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. Let me tell you why this is so important as a part of Jacob's story. God has made a promise to Isaac and Rebekah that, that they are gonna have children and then God comes through because he always does. God always comes through in his promise. And then Rebecca goes to God and says, hey, what's happening inside of me? And he goes, I'm gonna tell you. There are two nations inside of you, and I'm gonna make a promise to you, Rebecca. The older one is going to serve the younger one. They're both going to turn into nations, but one's gonna be greater. And that promise goes against everything that typically happens especially in ancient culture. Now, as the firstborn son, I think it should still happen, but that's another story, another time. Back then, the firstborn son is the one who inherited basically everything, who received the greater blessings. What was left over was divided up amongst everybody else. But in this case, 
Normally, the firstborn son, the oldest of the children, would receive the inheritance. And God says, I know that's normal, but I'm making a promise. It's going to be different this time. It's a promise, remember that, that he has made to Rebecca, but also to these two children that she's going to deliver. So delivery happens. When the time came for her to give birth, there were two twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, which is odd. So they named him Esau, which means disgusting, pretty much, okay? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You know, we don't, we don't really name kids that way anymore. You know, like when you were born, your parents didn't go, oh, look at, it, look at her, look at him. Let's, I mean, if they named you based on how you looked at birth, I mean, half of you would be just named disgusting, right? So, I mean, come on, right? But these names really do mean something. And back then they did name you based on something that was critical to you, about you, or in your story. In this case, Esau meant red and hairy. That's weird, but that's what his name means. And that's true of your names. I mean, you know, if your name is Jennifer, I mean, your parents didn't like look at you when you were born and go, ooh, she's a fair phantom. Let's call her Jennifer, you know, or, you know, Brandon from the Broom Hill. Let's call him Brandon. I mean, nobody does that, you know. But your name has meaning too. My name has a meaning. When I was growing up, my parents told me my name meant, and I love this, my name meant hawk of battle. Hawk of battle, which is legit. That, that's awesome, you know? I love being a hawk of battle. That's why I like Hulk Hogan. He's a hawk of battle. Hawk, hawk of battle. Now, a few weeks ago, my wife is looking this up and she realizes that there's another name for Gavin as well. And the other name is Little Hawk. Or as she likes to say, Lil Hawk, L-I-L, you know? So I'm gonna go with Hawk of Battle. Your name means something too, right? All of our name means something. And Esau's did too, and so did Jacob's. After Esau is born, a couple of minutes pass, here comes his younger brother. Remember the promise that was made though? Check this out. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. So Jacob means something too. It, it obviously means he grasped the heel, but the name Jacob is actually a, a Hebrew idiom for something way bigger than that. It means to subplant, or it means to deceive, manipulate, and trick. So what the name Jacob means, sorry if your name is Jacob, but it means to deceive, to lie, to trick. And that's who Jacob becomes because that's his name. I mean, God, think about it. God has made a promise to Rebecca and to Jacob and God keeps his promises. And we don't just believe that because we're told we see it happen all the time. I mean, Rebecca had living proof of it happening. Esau and Jacob were proof that God could be trusted when he makes a promise. And now Rebecca Rebecca starts struggling to trust the promise because the fact that Esau was going to serve Jacob didn't make sense logically. The, the fact that Jacob was gonna be the mightier nation didn't really seem logical to her. So she struggles to trust, which means Jacob struggles to trust. And guess what Jacob turns into? Turns into of Jacob. He starts becoming a liar. He becomes a con artist. He becomes a, a great, great manipulator. And, and rather than trust God's promises, he spends his entire life scheming, 
unnecessarily to receive the promises that God has made. Now you can read all about all of these schemes and all the things he did, starting in Genesis 26. Let me just give you a really quick overview of how Jacob, Jacob actually is. It starts pretty early on. I mean, Jacob and Esau are brothers. Esau is out hunting. He comes back, he's starving. Meanwhile, Jacob's been making some soup. Esau comes back and says, I'm so hungry, give me some of your soup. And Jacob goes, sure. But as a con artist and as a liar and as a deceiver, as a manipulator, I tell you what, Esau, I'll give you some of my soup if you will give me your birthright. Now, you know, Esau might not be the sharpest tool in the shed, I don't know, but Esau says, sure, you can have my birthright. I don't care, I just want some soup. And he manipulates Esau into something God had already promised he was gonna get, but he did it his own way. Then Jacob treats his father. His father Isaac is dying. And, and in, on a deathbed, like a father like Isaac in this time would bless the children. But Isaac wanted the greater blessing. Isaac wanted a meal before he gave this blessing. He tells Rebekah. So Rebekah sends uh, Esau out to get food, to, get, to kill something, to make this great kind of meal, this final meal for her husband. And while he's out hunting, Rebekah and Isaac, guess what, I mean, and Jacob, guess what they do? They scheme, they manipulate, they deceive. She, she dresses Jacob up in goat fur, sends him in with some clothing that belong to Esau, Isaac is very old, he can't see. He smells the clothes, thinks it's Esau. He asks to touch the hand and he feels the goat fur. He's still a red hairy garment, I guess, and says, oh, you must be Esau. And he gives Isaac the greater blessing. God had promised that to him, but he just couldn't believe it. He had to manipulate his way there. Well, because of that, Esau comes home and realizes that the greater blessing has been given away, he's not happy about it. He's really red and hairy now. And he looks at Isaac, and he's, I mean, he looks at Jacob, and he says, hey, Jacob, I'm gonna kill you for this. So what does Jacob do? He has to run away, he flees. Rebecca sends him to his uncle, his uncle Laban. And guess what happens there? More deception, more manipulation. In a kind of turnabout is fair play, Laban tricks Jacob. And then Jacob turns around and tricks him right back. It's just deceit after deceit after deceit. Well, he eventually has to flee because of all the deceit. He's running away. It's been 20 years though now, and Laban is pursuing him because Laban wants to kill him too. And he's stuck between Laban and his home where Esau is. And he's about to come face to face with his brother, who 20 years ago made a promise. If you show your face around here again, I'm gonna kill you. That's where we are in the story. Lots of deceit, lots of lying, lots of manipulation. What's so interesting to me about the story is how God participates in all this or how he allows Jacob to participate. I don't know if you know this or not, but if, if you want to control and manipulate and, and live on your own terms, God will absolutely allow you to do it. I mean, and God has made some promises to you too. He's promised to forgive you. He's promised to love you, to accept you, to provide eternal life to you. He's made all these promises to you. But if you wanna control and manipulate and deceive your way through life, if you wanna wrestle life to the ground, if you wanna try to make life submit to your will, God will let you do it. 
And I know you were thinking, you may be thinking, yeah, I know, God will let me do it, but he won't let it get too bad, will he? I mean, after all, right? I mean, God, God won't give us more than we can handle, right? I mean, that's not even in the Bible. I mean, I made that up. That's an opinion. That's like bumper sticker theology. God will absolutely give you more than you can handle and you can experience. And I'll tell you why. To prove that you can't handle it. God will allow you to manipulate, to control, and he will allow you to get way in over your head to prove that you aren't good enough to handle it, to prove that you actually do need God. And that's where Jacob is. <laughs> Jacob is in over his head. Jacob has spent his entire life under a promise from God that he just couldn't trust. He has spent his entire life fighting for control, fighting to receive a promise, and fighting with everyone around him. And for the very first time, we see Jacob recognize how out of control it really is. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where things have gotten over your head, where you feel like things are out of control, but even if you don't believe in God, you probably did what Jacob did. He prays. God, I don't know if you're even there, but if you are, I need your help right now. I've been trying to do it my way. It just hasn't been working. That's what Jacob starts to do. It's the very first recorded prayer that we have of Jacob. Now, maybe he prayed before that. I don't know. It's the very first time we know that he prayed when he was at his wit's end. But listen to his prayer. He says, then Jacob prayed, oh, God of my father Abraham. He's buttering God up as if God needs that, you know. God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, don't forget God, like I know you got a lot going on, but remember me, you made a promise to me, don't forget what you said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. Yeah, no duh, right? I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan he crossed the Jordan because of all the lying and deceiving and all the junk he did. But he's trying to play it off as if, oh, look, woe is me, I only had a staff, you know. But now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me. And also the mothers with their children, there's children, women and children involved, God, you know. <laughs> but you have said, I will surely make you prosper. And I will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Remember God, look at the women, look at the children, God. I only had a staff when I crossed and now look what has happened. You know? I mean, it's unbelievable. Jacob is such a Jacob, he can't quit Jacobing, even with God. Like he's trying to manipulate God. He's trying to trick God and God can't be tricked. God will not be manipulated. He'll let you manipulate things, but he can't be manipulated. I mean, Jacob is trying to get something from God and God has had it with Jacob. God is just fed up with the whole thing. I mean, even after praying for God, he still can't quit manipulating things. He can't stop deceiving. He can't stop trying to control. He begs for God's intervention and then he starts trying to control what's gonna to happen tomorrow morning because he's about to set up camp. And in the morning, he's gonna see his brother for the first time in 20 years. That night, Jacob got up 
12 hours before his death march to see his brother Esau, who now, by the way, has about 400 fighting men waiting on him. That night before he got up and he, and he took his two wives and his female servants and his 11 sons and he crossed the ford of the Jabcock. And after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. Here's what he's doing. He's setting things up. He's sending everything he owns, everything that belongs to him, all of the people in his family across the, the river. He's gonna divide them up into two camps. And here's what Jacob's thinking. Tomorrow morning when I get up and I go see my brother, I'm gonna have two groups divided. And if he attacks one group, the other group can flee and I'm gonna go with them too. I'll sacrifice part of my people to save me and the rest. That's the manipulator, Jacob who, by the way, is still living under a promise that he just can't trust. And God has had it with him. So now Jacob is left alone. He's lying in his tent, pondering what tomorrow is going to bring. And a man wrestles with him until daybreak, which is a weird twist in the story. But this is the most incredible part of the story. We learn later that the man is actually God himself. God shows up to the tent, walks in, and has a WWF wrestling match to the death with Jacob. He literally starts wrestling hand-to-hand -hand combat with Jacob. And Jacob didn't even know exactly who it was at first, but he sensed it might be better than just a man because this guy can't be overpowered. Like he's trying so hard to overpower him and he can't. Why? Because he's God. I mean, for 97 years, that's how old Jacob is. For 97 years, Jacob has been trying to lie and control and manipulate his way and manipulate God. And now God shows up in the tent and Jacob still can't give in. God walks in and Jacob can't give in. Why? Because for 97 years, for 97 years, he has been fighting with God. It is so easy to treat God like an intruder ready for a fight rather than a father asking for our faith. That's true for you too. It is so easy when God shows up to think of him as an intruder who wants something from you than a perfect heavenly father who just wants to give something to you like the promise that he's made. And that's where Jacob is at. But that's true of us too. Now, I know it's easy to say, well, I have problems, but my problem isn't with God. I'm okay with God. It's all the other stuff. It's her. It's him. It's the job. It's the relationship. It's my neighbor. It's my career. It's my finances. I mean, I know we're tempted to think that. It's my past. It's my thought processes. But that isn't actually the problem. God is actually the problem. And I'll tell you why. Because our real fight is always more spiritual than physical or emotional. What we are fighting against isn't what you think. It's a spiritual fight. It's a spiritual problem. At the core of the issue is a spiritual problem, which means it's a God problem. 
We are all, in some way, like Jacob, wrestling with God. We all, in some way, are wrestling with control, which means we're wrestling with God. Really, we're all just fighting against faith. We're fighting against faith. We're fighting to trust. We're fighting to believe. We're fighting to submit rather than make everything else submit to us. See, with Jacob, Jacob wanted the promises of God without the pain of surrender. That's what Jacob wanted. Jacob wanted all of the promises that God had made without the pain of surrender. And I've got some really bad news for you. So do you. So do you. That's what you want too. You want God to come through, but you don't wanna have to believe. You you want God to show up, but you don't really wanna trust. You want God to do your bidding. Meanwhile, God has a way bigger promise in store for you. Surrendering our will, that's kind of scary, isn't it? Like surrendering our faith, our trust to a God who we can't even see, that's a little terrifying. But, but, but that's why they call it faith. That's why we call it faith. Do you, do you know what faith is? The author of Hebrews defined it so perfectly. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That's what faith is. And that's why it's difficult. That's why it's scary. That's why Jacob struggled. He knew that God could be trusted. He had proof in his past. He had proof with his granddad, with his mom and his dad. But he couldn't see it. So he struggled to believe it. Just like we do. And I know it would be easier if God would just remove the doubt our faith would be so much easier. If he would just eliminate the question marks, right, it would be easy to believe in the exclamation points. But, but faith and doubt aren't enemies. They're actually best friends. I mean, think about it. Like, if, if we had no doubt, we'd need no faith. If you had nothing to doubt, you wouldn't even need faith. I think God loves the fact that there's some doubt. I think God loves the fact that faith involves things we can't always see because it requires that we surrender. It requires that we trust. It requires that we quit trying to control and manipulate and instead follow. See, Jacob had struggled his entire life to prevail. He just quit, couldn't quit being a Jacob. I mean, he first struggled with Esau, then with Isaac, then with Laban. I mean, he's constantly struggling. And now he's about to face his brother Esau and he thinks it's gonna be the final struggle, the final cage match. Until God showed up and reminded him, it's not Esau you're struggling with. It's not Esau you're wrestling with. It's me. It's your heavenly father. Now we're gonna kind of pause Jacob's story there. I'm gonna pick it back up next week. I'll tell you all about the wrestling match, what happens when he sees Esau. We'll, we'll do all that next week. But just for a minute, while we're talking about it, there is something so powerful in this part of Jacob's story for every single one of us to really process and to ponder. And here's the thing, right? Faith is where we always put up a fight. Just like Jacob, faith is the issue. 
And it's easy to think everything else is the issue, but those aren't the issues. Faith is the real issue. God is the real struggle. And God isn't going to force you to choose faith. God is not going to force your hand. If you wanna control life, he'll let you try. I mean, you can't, but he'll let you try. If you want to lie, if you wanna deceive, if you wanna trick, if you wanna manipulate, if you wanna try to put life in a figure four leg lock, he'll let you try. He'll let you try and try and try. And eventually you're gonna find that it just doesn't work. Meanwhile, the whole time you're gonna be begging for the fruit that comes from following God. Things like peace, acceptance, unconditional forgiveness. You're gonna be dying for those things. That's what you're trying to get anyway as you're manipulating, as you're controlling. It's really what you're after. You're trying to find peace. You're trying to find hope. You're trying to find acceptance and love, which don't exist a lot in our world. Meanwhile, you're fighting against the one person who actually has the ability to give it to you. You see, only when we stop fighting with God can we experience the fruit of following God. Only when we stop fighting with God can we actually experience what God has been trying to give you your whole life, the promise of love, of peace, of forgiveness, acceptance. It's what we all want anyway, right? Which I guess really does beg a question, you know, like where, where do you need more faith? Or maybe another way to say it, where are you struggling with doubt? Is it a, a, is it a relational thing? A health thing, a career thing? Maybe it's a past thing, and you're trying to get past your past, but it keeps showing up in your present, and you don't know what to do about it. Maybe it's a faith issue. Maybe it's a God issue. Do you really believe God has forgiven you? He has, but do you believe it? Are you struggling to trust? Are you struggling with faith? Because that's the real issue. See, God is gonna let you wrestle. He's ready and willing to allow you to wrestle with him until you're tired of it. He's ready and willing to allow you to continue manipulating and deceiving and lying and all those things until you get to the place where you're ready to surrender, which is what he actually wants. He just wants you to surrender. He just wants you to trust, that's all he wants. As I've been thinking about this story, you know, it's so fascinating to think that God shows up in the tent to get it on with Jacob. Full on cage match in the tent. And I imagine overnight, we're gonna talk more about it next week. I imagine this whole wrestling match. I mean, they're holding on to each other and just fighting and fighting and fighting. And you know what it reminded me of? I thought, what's gonna happen if Jacob decides to stop fighting and start following? And you know what came to me? I thought, oh, you know what? He's not gonna let go of God. He's gonna hold on tighter, but just in a very different way. And the reality of our life is we're gonna hold on to God no matter what. I mean, in, in fight or in faith, we're gonna hold on to God. You just gotta determine what kind of holding on you wanna have. You're either gonna hold on to him in a fight or you're gonna hold on to him in dependence as you follow. You're gonna hold on to stay close. You're gonna hold on 
to remain connected. So how do you want to hold on to God? That's probably a question worth pondering. And we're going to pick it up there next week. Can I pray for us? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for really the story of Jacob. Thank you for this unbelievable moment where you allow him to live 97 years manipulating and controlling, and then you decide to show up and allow him just to get it out of his system. I mean, it's unbelievable what that means for us. Because God, we are all wrestling with you about something. There is something in every one of our lives that we are wrestling with you on. And we don't think it's you, but it really is you we're wrestling with. So God, I pray that you will give us kind of the wisdom to see that, that you are our, our wrestling match. And then I pray that you will give us the courage to hold on, not to fight, but to hold on and surrender as we follow you. Whatever that means for us personally, I pray that you give us the courage to do it. Jesus, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us uh, for this week of uh, uh, Fight or Flight. Hey, don't forget, love for you to say hello to Sam and his wife, Julie. They'll be out in the rotunda. And if you are a teacher, stop by our information table, grab your free backpack full of supplies. Hey, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks.